This Dharma talk was recorded at Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. The title of my talk is on cultivating bodhicitta, and it comes from a discussion we had at the Thursday night group a few weeks before Chikyo Yun started his current uh, his current series on the platform sutra. We were talking about metta and bodhicitta and how they're different, and nobody really seemed to know, and I didn't seem to know either. So I went and looked it up on Wikipedia, the source of all Buddhist knowledge. And uh, the metta is a Pali word from Maitri, which itself is derived from Mitra, which just means friend. Most experts translate metta as loving kindness. In Buddhist belief, this is a divine abode or an immeasurable feeling that leads to a meditative state by being a counter to ill will. It removes clinging to negative states of mind by cultivating kindness unto all beings. So metta is a heartfelt aspiration for the happiness of all beings. It is different from lack of ill will and more of an antidote to fear and hatred. It is the precept to conquer anger by kindness, conquer the liar by truth, conquer the stingy by giving, and conquer evil by doing good. So meta-meditation, often described as loving-kindness meditation, is a practice concerned with the cultivation of metta, that is, benevolence, kindness, or am amity. It's an important part of Theravadan practice and features in many Theravadan sutras. The practice generally consists of silent repetitions of a phrase such as, may you be happy or may you be free from suffering. For example, to, to directed at a person who, depending on tradition, may or may not be internally visualized. We'll talk more about meta meditation in a minute. But I wanted to contrast meta with bodhicitta. Uh, in contrast to meta, bodhicitta is a Mahayana concept. In Mahayana Buddhism, which includes Zen, bodhicitta, which can be translated as enlightened mind or way seeking mind or the thought of awakening, it's the mind or citta that is aimed at awakening or bodhi with wisdom and compassion, and here's what's different about it, specifically for the benefit of all beings. Bodhicitta is the defining quality of the Mahayana concept of the Bodhisattva as being this, someone who is striving towards Buddhahood, and the actions that give rise to Bodhicitta are literally what makes a Bodhisattva a Bodhisattva. The Dashambhumika Sutra explains the arising of Bodhicitta is the first step in the Bodhisattva's career and of course, the concept occurs throughout the Mahayana literature. There is no specific bodhicitta meditation that I could find in Mahayana practice, but rather bodhicitta is what arises within us to practice in the first place. As Buddhists, and particularly as Zen Buddhists, bodhicitta is our desire to awaken so that we may help free all beings. So metta is a part of bodhicitta, but bodhicitta by itself is not necessarily a part of metta. Here's what the English teacher Bogomula Malinowska has to say about bodhicitta. She's a Dharma master of the Korean Kwan Um Zen tradition and a licensed therapist. She says, Buddhism and Zen particularly encourages us to respond with compassion to the suffering in front of us. 
Buddhism teaches that our actions should be guided by wisdom and compassion with no trace of selfishness, not even the urge to do good, to feel good about oneself. For example, this selfishness might mean you want to help others in order to feel holy or perfect or clear, but this is not the correct practice. The correct practice is simply to do good in order to do good, to help all sentient beings solely for the purpose of helping them. Remember, sentient beings are numberless. I vow to free them. But here's Malinowska again. She says, self-honesty is very important. What we think can make us happy can also make us miserable. If our direction is to help and our mind is clear, that is, the mind before thinking, then we don't need to worry about precepts. Good and bad are created by mind. If our mind is extinguished, then our karma is extinguished. It works in both ways. So we try to keep our correct direction. Why am I doing something? I'm not sure the precepts give us an obvious answer. So we say delusions are inexhaustible. I vow to end them. Excuse me. Some of our actions are not visible to others, and the results will only appear in the future, but inside we know already what we are doing. Our true self, our intuition, is guiding us. If we are aware of this guide, if we're in touch with it and hearing it, then there should be no problem in deciding what to do. There should be no problem in quickly understanding the situation, choosing the correct action, and keeping the correct action from moment to moment. Buddha said, all happiness comes from a desire to be, for others to be happy. All misery comes from a desire for oneself to be happy. So what I'm going to suggest here is, although it's not normally a part of Zen practice, is that meta-meditation can help give rise to and deepen our feelings of bodhicitta. At its most basic, meta-meditation is very simple. There are various ways to formulate it, but here is a simple version. May all beings be safe. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be at ease. So in a seated position, you inhale and then form the words, may all beings be safe, on the exhalation. You can say it out loud or just in your mind. The purpose of the meditation is not so much to change the outcomes for others, but to change your own attitudes and feelings about them so that you develop loving kindness toward all beings. Just as with the effects of zazen, the effects of meta-meditation are both very subtle and very profound, and they appear over time. I first did meta-meditation with a Vipassana group I sat with in Carson City, Nevada, when I lived there briefly. There was no Zen group there or even an hour away in Reno. Uh, so I sat with the uh, Vipassana folks, and they were very welcoming to me. We would close every meeting with guided meta-meditation, first with ourselves, then for the people in the room, and then extending outward to include people in Carson City, people in the state of Nevada, then the whole USA, and ultimately the entire world. Which brings me to this book, which trying to get it so the camera will focus on it. It's not doing very well. It's called The Mindful Path to Self-Compassion, Freeing Yourself from Destructive Thoughts and Emotions, and it's by Christopher K. Germer, Ph.D. And uh, I want to thank Paula for recommending the book to me, and special thanks to her for that. Chris Germer 
her PhD as a clinical psychologist and part-time lecturer on psychiatry at Harvard Medical School. He also has a website, chrisgermer.com, which lists a lot of the foundational ideas and suggested mindfulness, self-compassion, meditation. Here's what Germer says about, um, about Meta. It says, detailed instructions for cultivating loving kindness were first introduced by the Buddhist monk Buddhaghosa in the 5th century CE. To our knowledge, the Buddha himself only gave brief instructions for loving kindness meditation. The way we practice meta today is essentially Buddha Goso's elaboration of a discourse given by the Buddha to a group of monks who were afraid to live in the forest. Here are some lines from the discourse, and I'm sorry I don't know who the translator is on this. May all beings be happy and secure. May their hearts be wholesome. Whatever living things there are, feeble or strong, tall, stout or medium, short, small or large, seen or unseen, those dwelling far or near, those who are born or those who are yet to be born, may all beings be happy. Let no one wish any harm to another out of anger or ill will. Just as a mother would protect her only child at the risk of her own life, even so, let one cultivate a boundless heart toward all beings. Let one's thoughts of boundless love pervade the whole world, above, below, and across, without any obstruction, without any hatred, without any enmity. Whether one stands, walks, sits, or lies down, as long as one is awake, one should develop mindfulness. This, they say, is the noblest living there is. So for our purposes, we can turn this into a gata, and here it is again. May all beings be safe. May all beings be happy. May all beings be healthy. May all beings be at ease. Or in the case of self-compassion, you can direct meditation to yourself. May I be safe. May I be happy. May I be at ease. Or just safe, 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 happy, 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 and so forth. In the book, Germer suggests visualization to accompany this, but for me, that's straying a bit far from our Soto roots. For me, it was enough just to recite the words to myself after a few moments of tuning me into my mind with regular zazen, then beginning to mentally chant the words, may I be safe, and so forth. Excuse me. And here's why this is so important. Before you can develop metta towards all beings, you must first develop metta towards yourself. This is often the most difficult practice just because we're so tied up with our own self-doubt and critical attitudes towards ourselves. Consider all the karma, all the baggage we bring to practice. As we like to say in Zen, you sit on the cushion and your whole life comes up. Germer calls these bad feelings backdraft and he notes three things or rules about them, which I think you'll find familiar. The first rule is to expect bad feelings to arise because they will. The second rule is to maintain balance. The third rule is to apply mindfulness. And this sounds familiar to us because it's how we deal with all the thoughts and feelings that come up during Zazen. At first, what came up for me in response to this was all my negative feelings about myself. But in Zazen practice, we just notice these feelings, let them arise, and go back to the practice, back to the next breath, because we know the feelings will arise, exist, and depart. And it's the same in meta-meditation. 
Germer has this to say about the practice of directing love and kindness towards oneself. He says, loving kindness is an acquired skill. Some people seem to have a natural talent for it. The majority of us, however, are likely to find loving kindness meditation awkward at first. Why? The main reason for difficulty is that we have expectations about how we're supposed to feel. Fortunately, as Sharon Salzberg reminds us, loving kindness meditation works even though you don't feel a thing. It works with our deepest motivation, which is goodwill. Sometimes good intentions stir up good feelings, sometimes they evoke obstacles to pleasant emotions like self-doubt or self-judgment, and sometimes they conjure up nothing at all. Loving-kindness practice doesn't directly change how we feel, but it helps us hold ourselves in a gentle way that lets emotion change by themselves. Try to abandon expectations about how you feel while doing loving-kindness meditation. If you feel discouraged by the lack of good feelings in meta-meditation, bring kindness to yourself because you're feeling discouraged. May I be safe, happy, healthy, and live with ease. Shift your attention away from what you want and onto how you feel. In this case, that is not good. With each kind word, you're planting a seed that will grow of its own due time into a good feeling. Intentions come first, feelings come later. Self-compassion is like having a good friend around, providing encouragement at just the right time. As you become comfortable with directing meta towards yourself, and this may take weeks or months to overcome a lifetime of negative messages to and about yourself, you can move on to other people and ultimately to expressing meta toward all sentient beings. Germer suggests you start with an easy target and gradually work your way up to groups. So to begin with, you start by expressing meta to a benefactor. In my case, I used a mentor, an old business friend who's been helping me for more than 30 years. So I started saying to myself, may Jay be safe, may Jay be happy, may Jay be healthy, may Jay be at ease. I did this for an entire meditation period and was surprised at how easy it was and how good it felt. Germer suggests that this meditation you close by going back to yourself, may I be safe, may I be happy, and so forth. Then you can move to a friend. Same procedure, different person. I use my best friend, John, whom I've known since the seventh grade. He's always had an intellectual interest in Zen, especially in koans, but never enough to give actual practice a try. Again, you do meta-meditation for a friend and then close with meta towards yourself. Next comes someone who you have neutral feelings toward. Germer says the neutral person is someone you don't know yet, which means you have relatively little liking or dislike beyond the usual stereotypes and prejudices. It's fun to select someone you'll probably see again so you can gauge the effect of your meditation. As the weeks progress, also remember to include animals and plants in your circle of kindness. Neutral doesn't stay neutral very long when you make it the object of loving kindness. Same process, ending with meta for yourself. Finally, we do meta-meditation with a difficult person. I chose a woman who had cheated me out of thousands of dollars in a business deal a couple of years ago. Germer notes, when we offer a difficult person loving kindness, we're not accepting bad behavior or hoping the person will escape the consequences of their actions. Rather, we're wishing for the person to become a happy, peaceful human being. 
once you work through doing meta on different individuals, we can apply the process to groups of people. But for now, let's stick to the initial idea of bringing meta to yourself. Germer says, the practice of mindfulness and self-compassion will gradually reshape your personality. I found that to be the case for myself. The difference was truly remarkable. Then Germer goes on to say, that means your usual ways of handling problems will become less automatic and you'll have the freedom to choose how to respond in a given situation. Other people may say you've changed, but you actually may be seeing it feeling more and more like your true self. I found this to be true with Zazen in general, but it's been even more true when practicing self-compassion through meta-meditation as a complement to Zazen. At least that's the way it worked for me. To recap, Germer says, the first step towards inner transformation is mindful awareness that you're feeling emotional discomfort. The next step is self-compassion. That's mostly what's required to alleviate emotional suffering. With conscious practice, you'll develop a habit of sensing uneasiness in your emotional landscape and make shifts in attitude and attention without even being consciously aware of it. It's a new relationship to yourself that feels like having a loving companion by your side all day long. Trimmer goes on to say, there will always be times when conscious intention is required to deal with difficult emotions. The four steps, which he labels FACE or F-A-C-E, can help with meet these challenges. Step one, F for feel the pain, refers to mindfulness, knowing that you're experiencing what you're feeling while you're feeling it. Mindfulness of pain means we actually feel it and face it, not just keep it as a distance. Step two is A for accept. It means active, non-judgmental embracing of experience in the here and now. Acceptance reverses the impulse to fight discomfort and thereby make it worse. There are a number of ways to do this as covered in the book. For me, feeling and accepting the pain go together, even though it's a two-step process. The one tends to follow the other. Step three is to compassionately respond, which is the C of the word face. It means bearing witness to your own pain and responding with kindness and understanding. You can do this with the meta phrases safe, happy, healthy, and at ease, or with various other techniques. There's a whole appendix of these in Germer's book. The more we suffer, the more self-compassion we need, but sometimes that's the hardest step to remember. Step four, E, is to expect skillful action which means that you will be in the right mindset to tackle even the trickiest situations when you're mindful and compassionate. Eventually, as Bogomula Malinowski pointed out earlier, you'll be able to take skillful action without thinking about it. And as she also points out, if that's not the case, the precepts are here to guide us. Once you've started on your meta practice, it can become a valuable tool in your personal toolbox. I find it particularly useful for when I'm beating myself up about something I've done or failing to do. A few breaths of meta directed at myself and I find my whole attitude changing. From there, I can respond correctly to my situation and use skillful means to address whatever the real problem is instead of thinking about my shortcomings and features. Finally, as we move from being bringing meta to ourselves, we can gradually bring that same technique to bear on other individuals, then groups, and ultimately to all beings. 
This is where metta begins to merge into bodhicitta. The more loving kindness you feel towards all beings, the greater your resolve to practice for their benefit. And the greater you resolve, the greater your compassion will become. Chupton Chodron is an American Tibetan Buddhist nun, author, teacher, and founder of Abbas of uh, Sravasti Abbey, the only Tibetan Buddhist training monastery for Western nuns and monks in the United States. She is currently co-authoring with the Dalai Lama a nine-volume series of his teachings on the Buddhist path called the Library of Wisdom and Compassion. Here's what she says about cultivating bodhicitta. These quotes are taken from an essay by Tubden Chodron in Lion's Roar magazine called A Meditation to Develop Bodhicitta. She says, at times like these, when society is polarized and people feel insecure emotionally and financially, we long for connection to others, to know that we're in this together and that we will take care of one another. Despite this longing, our self-centered mind interferes and keeps us separate. In order to break down the walls of fear and alienation, we can practice what are called the seven cause and effect instructions to develop bodhicitta, the aspiration to attain Buddhahood in order to benefit others. This meditation practice helps us see we've always been connected to others and that we can open our hearts with love, compassion, and altruism. Before undertaking the first of the seven instructions, we must generate equanimity. That is, we must free ourselves as much as we can from our attachment to dear ones, antipathy towards enemies, that is, people we don't feel comfortable around, and apathy towards strangers. Well, this is one of the things that meta-meditation is good for. She goes on to say, one way to do this is to see that people change roles in our lives constantly. No one is a fixed dear one, enemy, or stranger. A second way to see that we create these categories is to see that we create these categories and fit people into them according to how they relate to me, as if that determines their worthiness. Once we've cultivated equanimity, we can practice these seven steps to help us develop our compassion, wisdom, and bodhicitta. Well, the first step is to recognize that all living beings have been your parents. Our ability to recognize that all living beings have been our parents at one time or another and beginningless samsara is based on our accepting rebirth and really releasing the notion that everyone has always been whoever they appear to be now. These ideas are new to you. For the sake of this meditation, put your hesitation to the side. I note that this first meditation involves a Tibetan notion of reincarnation, which we do not practice in Soto Zen. Instead, I invite you to consider it's that Thich Nhat Hanh's notion of interbeing, that all beings are ultimately one and completely independent on all other beings. Back to Tube to Children. Step two is to recall the kindness you have received. Recall the immense kindness you have received from all living beings when they were your parents by using the example of your parents in this life. They gave you this body, protected and fed you when you couldn't take care of yourself, made sure you received an education, taught you manners and how to get along with others, and encouraged your talents. They loved you and took care of you as best they could, given their own problems and limitations. Forgive their failings, for just like you, they are living beings under the influence of ignorance, attachment, and anger. 
when you're aware that you've been the recipient of tremendous kindness from others that wish to repay their kindness will naturally arise, which brings us to step four, which is to experience heartwarming love. Your wish to repay the kindness of others will lead them to the experience of heartwarming love. You will see others with affection and want them, them to have happiness and the causes of happiness. Step five is to let compassion arise. By contemplating the suffering of all beings, let compassion arise and wish for them to be free from all the unsatisfactory circumstances of samsara and its causes. You will know your meditation on compassion has been successful when you feel for all beings the same way a mother feels for her only child when they are sick. Step six is to cultivate the great resolve. By strengthening your love and compassion through repeated contemplation, generate the intention to free others from suffering and its causes and to bring them happiness. The stronger our awareness of their kindness and misery is, the easier it will be to generate this great resolve. Think how wonderful it would be if all sentient beings were free of suffering and its causes. May they be free. I shall cause them to be free. May all beings have happiness in its causes, and I shall bring this about. You see how this maps well to meta-meditation. Step seven, the final step, is to generate the altruistic intention of bodhicitta. At present, we're limited and cannot free all beings from suffering. It's only by becoming a Buddha that we'll be able to actualize this deepest aspiration. Therefore, make the decision to attain Buddhahood in order to benefit all beings most effectively. This is the altruistic intention of bodhicitta. The first six steps of the seven cause and effect instructions are usually considered the causes, while this last one, altruistic intention, is their effect. This intention sets you on the path to fulfill your magnificent human potential and is the cause of happiness for all beings. So to close, I'm suggesting that uh, as as Buddhists, as Zen Buddhists, we use metta to cultivate bodhicitta and develop our bodhicitta in order to free all beings. So to that end, I think the last thing I will say is, may we and all beings, excuse me, may we and all beings be happy. May we and all beings be healthy. May we and all beings be at ease. May we and all beings be safe. Thank you. You've been listening to a Dharma Talk from Prairie Mountain Zen Center in Longmont, Colorado. To learn more about us or to make a donation, visit us at prairiemountain.org.